Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Getting ready to go to Dev Intersection and to uh, NDC Oslo. Yeah. And uh, now it's June 27th, so how was it? It must have been great. We had such a good time. <laughs> we always do. I love time shifting. It's the best thing ever. It is fun. We recorded this <laughs> way back in May, about a month ago mm-hmm. from when it came out. And uh, back then, I guess I'm, I was pretty good. Are, were you okay? I was great. I was having a good time. You know, nothing to complain about at all. Yeah. Working hard on the history of .NET. That's it. I've been doing. Very good. I've been working hard on what I'm going to talk about for Better Know Framework. So awesome. roll the music. All right, dude, what do you got? Well, um, you know, I haven't talked about the keto thing in a while, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about it because some really exciting things are going on. I don't know if you noticed this, and I know Vittorio does the ketogenic diet, but a whole lot of people who listened to .NET Rocks and, and heard about my success reversing diabetes and losing weight and have been following me, you know, have, have tried it, and it's become... Mm-hmm. The ketogenic diet has become like the way to lose weight now. It's like the hottest thing in the world. And I've done this festival for three years now. This would be the third year in a row that I do this festival called Keto Fest in New London. Mm-hmm. And we just secured a speaker who's exceptionally well-known in that realm. His name is Professor Stephen Finney. Oh, yeah. He is considered the grandfather of the ketogenic diet. He and Jeff Volek wrote two groundbreaking books. One is The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Living, and the other is The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Performance, which is specifically a a science uh, done on athletes who are fat-adapted and had this huge advantage in endurance and performance. And so um, he's with Verta Health right now, V-I-R-T-A, and Mm -hmm. he is coming to KetoFest to speak for the first time. And so their tickets are still available. It's the weekend of July 20th and 21st. And um, we would love to see you there. So go to ketofest.com and get some tickets and check it out. It's really exciting. Nice. You still doing keto, Vittorio? I am um, in a bit of a pause, mostly because uh, I had to go to Italy. And yeah. the last time I went to Italy while in keto, just uh, it was re- really hard yeah. for my immediate family to understand what was going on. The like when I tell so them, uh, I know, mom, I cannot have uh, pasta. What's the okay. matter? So, <laughs> here is some focaccia. Oh, pasta, you're breaking my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so like, oh, here there's some focaccia. They don't know. Okay. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. It's hard. Yeah, also, yeah. focaccia isn't, uh, isn't uh, on, the, on the books. And she goes, well, but maybe you want some pizza then. Like, okay, never mind. Yeah. So this year, I just said, before I go, I'll drop, yeah. and then I'll just resume afterwards. Yeah. And so I have yet to come back into it, but I'm going to get it back into it. Feels so good. It, it, it is hard to keto in Italy. I, I, I give you that. I've been there, yeah. done that. You know, you, you can't eat porchetta for every meal. But it's fun to try. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it <laughs> depends on me, I would. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, Richard, that's what I got. Who's talking awesome. to us today? Grabbed a comment off a of show 1299, which we did back in May of 2016 with one Vittorio Bertocci, mm-hmm. talking about identity as a service back in his old identity. Yeah. And uh, what well, a great show. I mean, three years ago, but it was good stuff. You know, we were working through all the identity stuff. This comment comes from Andrew Bancroft, who says, this show could not have come with more perfect timing. I'm on a team that is currently evaluating identities as a service options. And now I'm stoked about the potential of Azure AD B2C. Mm-hmm. The option to rid ourselves of the risk associated with keeping user information and passwords on premises is extremely attractive. Mm. At the cost of free for 55,000 users and 55,000 authentications per month, hmm. this is going to be hard to pass up. Yeah. For those who are also drawn to identity as a service as an option, a great resource to check out is a GitHub repo called Azure AD Quick Starts, and I'll include a link in the show notes for this, mm-hmm. uh, that is actually tutorials on how to use Azure AD. Great. And I was able to download a copy of an ASP.NET MVC app, the sample app, change some web config values based on the values of my Azure AD B2C directory that I set up in Azure, hit run, and bam, it worked. Sign up, sign in, password reset, claims, all of that. I'm sold. Now off to convince the rest of the teams. Thanks Hmm. very much. Yeah. Hey, 
happy customer. What more can you hope for, right? Right, right. And Andrew, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, I'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell and I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet, but uh, hold the croutons. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Shall I say, hold the focaccia. all right so let me properly introduce you vittorio uh vittorio batachi has been working at the nexus of identity and development for almost two decades if you use any microsoft cloud product chances are that you use some tech that he contribute to always eager to simplify and popularize identity for developers he found an ideal home in auth zero where he works as principal architect welcome vittorio welcome back thank you for having me Wow, moved on from Microsoft. What what was the the incentive there? Ah, you started already with a heavy hitter. So <laughs> All right in, dude. <laughs> well, uh, I am uh, very lucky that I had uh, a, a very successful career at Microsoft. I was there for like seventeen years, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, at the right time, like uh, as uh, everything moved to the cloud, identity from uh, kind of a thing that was in the background had to become uh, like a forcing function for mm-hmm. everyone to mm-hmm. figure this sure. thing out. And so I had the opportunity to work on one of the largest identity providers on the planet with uh, one of the largest uh, identity audiences, like a developer audiences. And so uh, it was a fantastic ride and the team is amazing. And uh, I know that uh, they will keep growing and having uh, success after success. And uh, I wish them the absolute best. Uh, from my point of view, personally, uh, I really, really love uh, to work with uh, external developers, like uh, as in like uh, developers at large, anyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, Azure AD has uh, a lot of responsibilities. Uh, and of course, it's a platform for uh, external developers for building whatever they want. But it's also a platform which is uh, of crucial importance for securing the first parties like uh, Office, uh, Azure itself, Windows, and similar. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes uh, I felt a bit of tension between uh, doing something for internal audiences versus externals. And for me, in my mind, like I really like to work with a generic developer population. Yeah. And so um, in Off Zero, which uh, was founded by Eugenio and Matthias, with whom I worked for a long time back in the day, I, I knew I would find the topic that I wanted, which is identity, f- truly 100% for the external audiences. So right. uh, any developer community at large, and also uh, something that is only about identity. Let's say that uh, when of zero does identity for you, there is uh, no other agenda. The only thing that uh, we are trying to do for you is to help you develop the best identity system you can. Mm. We are not trying to sell you anything else afterwards. Like after mm-hmm. you did identity, that's it. We helped you. It's not like that's uh, the whole business. The, Right. It's not like the, the free parking in front of a pizzeria in which uh, we've got to give you a free parking. Otherwise, you don't come in to eat the pizza. For us, there is no pizza. There is only the parking. So uh, <laughs> for me, it's, it's liberating. It's liberating because I can focus on making you as successful as possible with your identity endeavor without having any, um, any follow-up, any upsell, let's say. Nice. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that, and I and I like that sort of single mindedness too. It's not everything uh, that can carry itself like that, but we all need identity. It's just trying to come up with the best identity solution possible. That is absolutely right. And there seems to be a lot of them out there, and some there's some overlap too. Maybe we can talk about that. Uh, there is a lot of overlap for sure. Mm-hmm. Like the thing is that identity is this funny thing that uh, in the past. Like if you would uh, just uh, target your on-prem, you wouldn't have to worry about it at all because uh, the network software in itself would uh, take care of everything. And uh, just for existing on the network, just for the fact that you sat in front of your workstation and you signed in on the workstation, that was good enough for your local network to know who you are and for all the resources to authenticate you and authorize you properly. But as soon as you move up in the stack and as soon as you find yourself in a heterogeneous networks, heterogeneous kind of resources and similar. Now uh, you can, it's harder to push identity back into the platform stack. 
mm-hmm. and uh, it becomes more of uh, a uh, consideration closer to the application. But you can't do it, or or it's not very convenient to do it every time for every application because uh, then it is complicated, it's mission critical, if something goes wrong, it goes really, really wrong. And so in general, there is a, the tendency to try to um, centralize some of those services, like this is uh, one service that pretty much every resource and every application is to use. Mm-hmm. And then that's where you find this spectrum. You can go from writing absolutely everything from scratch, for like coding from scratch, from uh, using toolkits and SDKs, which uh, somewhat help you to avoid uh, writing the low-level stuff, but for which you are still uh, responsible for a lot of things, to the products that you can actually install, like a DFS and similar, that uh, do most of the scenarios that you want, but you need to run them uh, explicitly, like you need to set up VMs and run them in there, and on the other side, instead, you have services, services that give you pure identity as a service. But the thing is that uh, sometimes, uh, actually, most of the times when you are trying to do identity, there is always that last mile that is uh, different from everyone else. When you are using a service, it's kind of like buying a T-shirts that you can find in uh, large, medium, small, but uh, not really tailored to your uh, to, to you. Like you need it to somewhat adapt to what's in there. And sometimes you cannot afford it. Like imagine that you have uh, your own uh, subscription system for charging your customers and uh, you can't really change it. Or say that you have uh, a database of users and you cannot move that database for some reason. Maybe you certified it for a risk class and similar. And so when you are using the service, very often the service doesn't give you enough flexibility for accommodating that last mile. Whereas uh, you have that flexibility when you use toolkits and similar, but then there is a lot of work for you. And the thing that I really like about the place where I work right now is that I believe it hits the sweet spot. It is a service. So if you go out of the box, uh, it has uh, all the various scenarios that you want to turn key. You don't need to write any code. But if you want to do something odd and exotic, mm. you can literally run your own code inside our pipeline. So you can mm-hmm. customize almost everything and you can still be have a service. So not to worry about uh, patching, uh, classic, all the usual pitch that you hear from uh, using cloud versus on-prem, but uh, you retain uh, almost complete flexibility. For me, it's like uh, I'm a kid in a candy shop. I'm loving it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the elements of identity that when we do this authentication, are they living in that? as part of my app or, you know, as part of my store or are they living with you? So here there's the, you know, the way in which you normally, you break this down. You have your application or your resource. Like your application can play substantially two roles. It can be the application that needs to consume APIs or it can be a website or an API. So you can be right. either a client that wants to access a resource or you can be the resource. In both cases, the idea is you take the main functions that pertain authentication, such as actually verifying credentials, saving credentials somewhere, dealing with the attributes of a user, the life cycle, uh, managing consent, like uh, doing anything that has to do with that function. And the idea is uh, you take your application and you teach to that application to outsource the workflow to the central service whenever it's necessary. So that uh, contextually, when a user shows up at your application, you just need something either in front of your app or inside your app. And there are like different uh, degrees of uh, how deep this thing can go mm. that know how to redirect the, uh, the request to the central place. The central place takes care of the request doing whatever is necessary from right. authentication to multi-factor off to classifying the risk of like, uh, huh, I just saw you signing in from Thailand and now you're signing in from uh, Ukraine. So hmm, maybe there's something wrong. So all these things that uh, you can expect from a central place, and if everything goes okay, the central place gives back to the client some kind of uh, proof that authentication occurred successfully. And then you present these proof, which is typically a security token to your app, the same software that uh, bounced you out to the central place, intercepts this token, looks at this token and decides whether it likes it, whether it's coming from the right place. And if it does, that's it. 
your user is authenticated, the relevant information about the user, the attributes are extracted and are available to your application code, and you are done. So most of it, most of the logic lives in the central place. All you need to have in your app or in front of your app is something which knows how to support these open protocols, which are used for offloading authentication and authorization to an external location. Right. And and that, and this all comes back to that single sign-on problem where I don't want my users to have to keep logging in for each app that they touch, regardless of where it's running. That is exactly right. When you centralize things this way, substantially, the first time that a user hits one of the apps that participate in single sign-on, they go to the central place and they authenticate. Typically, the central place will drop some artifact which represents the session with the central authority, typically a cookie. And so the next time that a user goes to another application that also trusts the same central location, the user will be transparently redirected to the central place. And if there is already a session, like already a cookie with the authority, then the user can be automatically authenticated and have the experience of accessing the second app without having to provide any credentials. This is the same stuff that was happening in uh, your local network. The only difference is that in your local network, you had your domain controller that was doing these at the network layer. Instead, right. here, when you do these uh, in uh, modern settings, typically this is happening at the browser or at the app level, and we are using cookies instead of Kerberos tickets. But the idea is exactly the same. Now, that being said, an awful lot of listeners here that are responsible for any identity work for their apps are going to be going against an Active Directory store. So how do you get at that through an external authority like Auth0? So there are different ways in which you can do that. Um, typically, uh, like the, the cleanest way for doing this is to have something in your local directory, which is capable of talking with these uh, open standards. So if you have, for example, a DFS, or if your local ID is projected in an Azure AD, then what happens is that uh, you can simply federate with uh, these endpoints, and then uh, there is uh, a chain of trust in which, uh, imagine a user opens the browser, lands on the web app, the web app redirects to of zero, and here in of zero, you'll have a choice of going to wherever you want to get your identities. One of the choices will be AD, and once you follow that choice, you are just going to hit one of those endpoints that using either SAML or OpenID Connect will simply uh, validate the user and then send back a token, which will be translated from uh, uh, of zero to your application. And this uh, approach has the advantage that uh, your users can come from wherever they want, and uh, they will always look the same to your app because uh, having this central location can uh, normalize the set of attributes can run any logic that you want for making sure that the user always look in the same way, no matter from where it's coming from. And so now you can paradoxically have users from Facebook or from WeChat or from AD or from Ping Identity from wherever you want, and your application right. always treats them in the same way. So it's really a, a big advantage in terms of simplifying the logic in your app and centralizing uh, all these uh, special case management uh, in of zero. And, and it, if it's not apparent, I'm wearing my, you know, run as radio IT security hat right now. And immediate, immediately hits me. It's like, of course I want to use an external authentication mechanism because in the real world of a substantial size organization, not everything is in Azure or even in AD. We have this diversity of stuff and having an, an external authority doing the authentication means it can reach all of them equally. That is exactly right. What happens is that uh, sometimes when you use uh, the, the solutions that you listed, not only you have to establish trust, which just means uh, I'm accepting tokens from that location, but you also need to synchronize users. That's to say that uh, before you do any authentication, you actually needed to uh, use uh, some flow for uh, getting to know all the users in the other directories. Whereas with the approach that you can do with uh, of zero, you can do that, but you can also just say, I like tokens coming from that source. And then it doesn't matter who the user is, like on the fly, you get a token coming uh, from that user without having the need to pre-provision that user in advance. So that really makes it uh, much, much faster to accept identities from 
anywhere you want. Doesn't matter if it's source, as long as you can uh, establish trust, you don't need to synchronize users or anything. You can get up and running in minutes. Sure. And, it, and the, the big one I think a lot of folks struggle with, especially if they're living purely in a, in a .NET or Microsoft-y world, is the, the smartphones, is the iOS and Android devices that are none of the, which are natively friendly to this stuff. Um, for these, I'd say that uh, um, the, uh, the Microsoft uh, solution is, uh, uh, is actually pretty good. Like uh, uh, They recently announced uh, the general availability of a MSAL library, which is uh, something I spent <laughs> many years of my life on. And I think it does a pretty good job, both when you use uh, Xamarin for like uh, targeting uh, iOS and Android, but also when right. you go directly native. The thing is that uh, nowadays, uh, using uh, OAuth and using Operating Connect is so mainstream that you find the libraries across the board. So I know that Dominic and uh, Brock have uh, an OpenID Connect client mm. which runs yes. on multiple platforms, and you can hook that up to anyone, including of Zero. And uh, we have of Zero also have our own SDKs, which uh, turn the uh, low-level considerations that you would use when you use the protocol into high-level developer tasks. So instead of having to use these libraries to tell us uh, I want to use the authorization code with uh, Pixie for obtaining a code that I will exchange for an access token and a refresh token. Instead of having to say all of these in the API surface of SDK, you just tell us, give me a token. And this is uh, the permissions that I need uh, when I get this token. And that's it. We make uh, all of these uh, low-level protocol considerations uh, behind the scenes so that you can just get the token you need for calling the API without having to earn a PhD in uh, modern protocol security. Yeah, well, you know, just the path you're describing there is like, how many people can I even think through that path? Yeah, it is path. I would, I would call Dominic or you and go, how, am I, how should I do this? Yeah. And there will be times in which uh, you have to do that. Like uh, if you want to do something that goes away from what I call the yellow brick path, Sometimes right. you need to drop to that level. And uh, luckily, the protocol is well documented, and uh, you can always hit uh, the endpoints directly. But the reality is that uh, for productivity, very, very, like the vast majority of cases, you are able to just use uh, the mainstream scenarios with just small modifications. And sometimes you can just do small modifications still without having to drop to that level of complexity. Mm -hmm. Let me make you mm -hmm. a practical example. Uh, the example that I said earlier about extensibility is real. There's people that today are using uh, API keys instead of uh, OAuth, uh, OpenID Connect, and similar. Instead of using tokens, they just give uh, people secrets. And they say, okay, whenever you need to call the API, just show up with this string, and I will know it's you. And then they tie to that not just authentication, but also things like, uh, did, they, did my customer pay the due this uh, month or not? Right. And then at that point when they say, okay, I need to uh, move away from this proprietary way of doing things, for example, because I want to extend uh, my app to be also an iOS, Android, and similar, but I cannot write a special SDK for my special authentication. I want to use off. I want to use Operating Connect. So they shift their authentication strategy that there. But then they still have other things that come downstream from authentication, like subscription uh, management, like payments, all of that stuff. Now, imagine that you can do everything using OAuth and OpenID Connect, using normal SDKs and similar, and imagine that you can just add a custom parameter that you send out together with your authentication. And imagine that you can take the pipeline where you perform authentication and write code there which expects to find this custom parameter and run your existing logic, say that you wrote this in Node.js, and take exactly the code you already have for validating that this user paid for this month. Hmm, At this right. point, you have, you're having all the advantages of using the off OpenID Connect SDKs, all the advantages of using a centralized service written by security experts, run by security experts, but still, you can reuse exactly your existing subscription logic without changing anything at all. That is the kind of extensibility that I like, the one in which you can piggyback 
on top of authentication. We take care of authentication. If you want to do things at the same time, then we allow you to. I have a really nice demo in which uh, I do this with PayPal. Like you come in and I count whether it, this is like a, whether you signed in more than five times this month. And if you did, in the middle of authentication, I actually redirect you to uh, PayPal where you can pay for buying another 10 of these authentications. And right. then you come back, I call the, uh, I call the, the PayPal SDK use, like, uh, using the, exactly the wrong SDK to, to validate that you paid. And if you do, then I let you go through all within the authentication flow. So you didn't have to do anything in your app. It's all happening in the centralized place. It's like uh, when I managed to make this happen, it was like, uh, <gasps> that's magic. Normally, you'd have to write everything from scratch in order to do this. You would not be yeah, able yeah. to do it uh, with a service. Plus, any of those external pipelines then have to feed back, okay, he bought more tokens. So there's a lag there. And typically, if someone's doing it right then and there, it's they want it right then. The You have to wait an hour for the tokens to be found. It's not acceptable. Yeah, or like uh, you might need to have moving parts that live outside of your application. Like say right. that you have your own little web page in which uh, when someone tries to sign in and uh, they run out of sign-ins, it might tell you click here to go somewhere else to sign in and then come back. And these might work when you're doing these on a website. But imagine that now you want to add a mobile app as well. Then from a mobile app, you don't have a chance to be redirected to a different place while you're authenticating in the browser. Like, uh, it's just messy. Whereas if you embed yeah. this in the authentication flow, then at that point, it all happens within uh, the same uh, transaction. It's like, uh, and then you can take advantage of this uh, from, any, uh, from any client, from your desktop app, from your web app, from your mobile app, even from your Apple TV, if you want to. Like if you are doing uh, the device flow, you know, I, I don't know if you ever set... Uh, your voice devices in which they tell you, pull out your phone, navigate in a certain address, place this code, authenticate on your phone, and as soon as you are done, you get like your Netflix going uh, on the Apple TV and similar. You can do exactly the same stuff uh, using uh, our accessibility points. Uh, this is where I'm really interested in implementation, and I'm, I'm looking at Auth0 and some of the features that you guys have. It's It's just pretty extensive. And uh, one that caught my eye was um, passwordless. Because if I could get rid of all my passwords, and I mean everywhere, that would be a good day. But of course, it would only be sites that are using Auth0 that I would get rid of my passwords for, right? Right. The idea is that uh, in that particular case, if you if you use uh, your application, if in your application you use of zero, then one of the many ways in which you can uh, validate the credentials of a user is uh, by using this mechanism in which you go through passwordless. And uh, if you are using of zero as the identity provider, that's to say the store of your uh, not just your attributes but also your credentials, then you can do it. If you are using of zero as an intermediary, like one of the things that we can do is to aggregate from multiple identity providers, then ultimately it depends on the identity provider source sure. to decide how to validate your credentials. Right. There, therein lies the problem. I have uh, an Apple TV and I have an Android phone. And how does that all work together? Well, if here, like then um, you could just use uh, then, uh, exactly the same flows uh, from both. The thing that decides the flow, the flows that you are allowed to do is uh, just where you save uh, your uh, username and credentials. Like uh, from our point of view, as long as you pick the right SDK, then uh, we'll, uh, we'll honor the flows that you decide. As long as we don't have to redirect you to uh, some other identity provider, in which case we just do it, then uh, you, can do, uh, you can do passwordless with both Android and Apple TV. Yeah. It seems to me that it's a really good it's a good thing to offer on the server side, but I also like the the whole idea of just a an app or a, a fob or something that just works universally for all your all your passwords, whether they're using Auth0 or not. And that one is uh, um, I have to say some of the work that is happening right now with uh, the FIDO standard and similar is all geared to allow devices to use uh, in a superior, they call it a next generation authentication uh, mechanism for uh, authenticating. 
The idea is that uh, in your device, whether your device uh, is a FOB or whether it is uh, your actual physical device, like Android recently announced that uh, they have this capability in some phones, uh, the idea is that uh, you keep in your device the the keys, the cryptographic keys that you want to use, and you establish a protocol for when you want to sign in for using uh, uh, those keys. And then on the device, all you need to do is to unlock access to these keys. So you can use pins, you can use uh, whatever biometric you have available on board. And the idea is that uh, whomever is uh, sniffing uh, traffic in the wire will not be able to find anything useful in there because like the... Mm-hmm. Um, all the crypto is done, uh, like the device never sends shared secrets. It just uh, uses crypto for uh, uh, negotiating with the server uh, the credentials. And uh, once again, this boils down to where the user lives. Like uh, for Android, you can have uh, users directly locally to the device. As of zero, we have uh, experimental support for uh, um Authenticate like the next generation authentication. We have a website that we use uh, for uh, um, educational purposes so that people can experiment with it and see how it will look like. And as soon as these uh, devices will be more widespread, as in uh, a significant number of people yeah. will have it available, mm-hmm. then uh, we will probably see a more um, more significant ship, uh, shift in that direction. Yeah. And uh, I'll give you a link to this tool uh, afterwards if you want to place it okay. uh, in, the, uh, in the show links. Yeah, that's cool. So how does a .NET developer get started with this? So for a .NET developer, the, um, the good thing is that uh, they, for protecting their websites and their web APIs, they can use precisely the same stuff that we've been working on for the last uh, 15 years. Like the ISP.NET uh, middleware, both uh, Katana and Core works because like, uh, it uses uh, uh, OpenID Connect, uh, which is also what Zero uses. And in fact, uh, all of our quick starts for .NET use those. On the client side, when you want to actually write uh, like native clients, uh, desktop clients and similar, we offer SDKs, which we have in GitHub and similar. Again, I'll give you the links, but you can also use uh, generic uh, SDKs like uh, AppOff, or uh, Dominic's uh, um, OpenID Connect identity model. So is the is the idea here that we just use REST calls, or do you have application uh, platform-specific APIs like Node and ASP.NET and, and Go and all that? So we have a large number of SDKs that make it easy for you to uh, make all of those calls. Like uh, technically, the ground reality is you can hit the endpoints directly and uh, just use uh, standard requests. Like uh, if you send us a request that you crafted by hand uh, using the HTTP client in .NET, it works. Sure. But the thing is that it's unnecessary. Like uh, you can uh, be uh, so much more productive when you use an SDK. And uh, we have a long list of SDKs uh, both SDKs that we produce, but also you can reuse SDKs that uh, others produce. Like uh, if, for example, you get on the page for creating a regular web app, you see a list of uh, um, SDKs. And here I see an Apache SDK, SP.NET Owen, SP.NET Core 1.1, SP.NET Core 2.1. We have a Django SDK, a Go SDK, a Java SDK, a Java Spring MVC SDK. In NancyFX, Node.js, PHP, PHP Laravel flavor, PHP Symfony flavor. We have Scala, we have Python, yep. we have Ruby on Rails, we have Service Stack. This is just link. one example mm. of one type. And uh, right. the, if you go for, for example, the native client, like a mobile client and similar, you see the counterpart iOS, Android, yep. and similar. Yeah, I see it now. Um, I found it. Uh, you basically, like you said, have to pick the application type. And then it asks you, you know, what platform you want. And then there's all sorts of samples and uh, sample code and great, great docs. Actually, looks looks really, really clean. Thank you. Yeah. But again, most of the time, are you really needing to write a lot of code in your native language to do this? Or is it REST calls for a lot of this? For all of these, you typically just pull in the SDK, initialize the SDK by saying, uh, I want to use uh, my uh, tenant in of zero, and this is the ID of my application. You, when you register an application, you get a client ID, and that's it. Then, when you need it to call an API, you say, "Dear SDK, give me a token," 
And then the SDK will do all the various uh, requests using uh, open standards and similar. But from you, from your code point of view, it's very easy. You just make that particular call. If you are curious about uh, what the calls look like, you can always fire up Fiddler and see what happens on the wire. But sure. uh, and if you want to do the REST calls, you can do it, but it's just usually not very convenient because uh, you'd be writing a lot of code that we already wrote for you. And also, whenever you make requests, there are little tricks that OAuth and OpenID Connect uh, uh, suggest you do for protecting yourself from specific attacks, like a cross-site scripting reference or like uh, uh, leaking or like people forging your request. And for each of those attacks, there are things that you can do for mitigating or preventing these attacks. And the SDKs typically do all the work for you so right. that you don't need to worry about this particular detail. Whereas if you are writing everything from scratch, not only you have to write the messages, but you also need to worry about these particular uh, attack mitigations. Mm. So you can do it. Like if tomorrow there is a, a yet another JavaScript uh, stack which is completely different for what we have now, nothing prevents you from hitting the network directly and getting tokens from uh, of zero or any other provider uh, sure. without using an SDK. But normally the SDK will make you more productive and generally more secure. Yeah. Well, and you've, yeah, you're doing, you're giving us the right way to do something here. Sure. Yeah, we try so, to so enshrine in that code the things that uh, like uh, as much as possible in terms of protection, in terms of best practices and similar, so that uh, you don't have to worry about that sure. too much. Now, and I think you're saying this the polite way. I think the impolite way is you could do this yourself. Just don't. Right. Get the SDK, <laughs> put it in, save yourself some time and a whole bunch of mistakes you don't want to make. That's like everything else. You know, if I can, in, if I can install a NuGet package that's going to, pull up some wrappers to save me some totally. time. I'm doing it. Yeah, much better way to go. Uh, and I also poked around GitHub a bit. You guys have got all kinds of repositories. So is are all of these different SDKs just open source? Yeah, they are all open source. And whenever we can use an SDK uh, provided by the specific platform uh, we are targeting, we do it. Like for protecting uh, the uh, API APIs in... Um, in SP.NET, we use the SDKs that I worked on while I was still working in Microsoft because uh, right. there is no value for us uh, to rebuild it from scratch when uh, there is something that already follows the standard and similar. We might occasionally put a, a little veneer on top of it just for making it easier to configure with of zero, mm. but the substance is all there. Whereas uh, compare it with a Node.js in which uh, our SDK is kind of like uh, probably one of the most popular for identity in uh, um, in the Node, uh, Node.js space. And so in that case, uh, we actually maintain it from scratch. We do the entire thing. But like Java is another example in which uh, there are excellent uh, libraries already existing. So we try to use them as much as possible in our samples. Nice. Yeah, don't recreate the wheel and don't diss the effort that's come before too. That is exactly right. Like uh, the, one of the big, big advantages of using the standards, the open standard, is that uh, we can actually share some of the, some of those libraries. And in fact, uh, like I am involved in uh, the standard definition work. And one thing that I'm working on is on actually standardizing the shape of access tokens. Today, access tokens are not defined anywhere in terms of format, and so every vendor uses uh, a slightly different format. And so mm -hmm. I'm like leading an effort for uh, standardizing of its shape so that we can uh, once like take also that area that today doesn't have an SDK that can be used across vendors. And instead, uh, we will get uh, the ability to reuse exactly the same SDK across multiple vendors. So we are still evolving in this space, but uh, I'd say that we made a lot of progress in the last few years. Yeah, do you feel like there's still major shifts to come in these security models? Have we kind of got one that works now? I think that we are seeing uh, some resurgence of things that uh, we worried about in the past. Mm -hmm. Like uh, OAuth and OpenID Connect had uh, tremendous success. They were super sure. successful. They are adopted across the board. Mm -hmm. However, part of their success was due to their simplicity. When you use a token with OpenID Connect or OAuth, you are using tokens uh, kind of like uh, banknotes. When I go to buy something, I pull out 20 bucks, 
And there's nothing in this 20 bucks that say that I can use those 20 bucks. I could have picked it up from the floor. It doesn't matter. As long as I can present it to the person, they will give me back my latte or whatever I'm buying. And right. this thing is that uh, it's nice and simple and works for many, many scenarios. But when you are doing uh, like high risk transactions, like uh, say that you are a government, say that you are a big financial institution, say that you are a tax collection agency and you are moving a significant amount of money, using cash becomes a problem. And in the real world, we have checks in which you can say, I'm doing these specifically for this transaction. But in the context of OAuth in OpenID Connect, you don't have that ability. The only token types that we have today are uh, tokens that you can just uh, reuse as is. So if someone steals your token, they can be you. So what's happening right now in the industry is that uh, we are bringing back some of the properties that we had. Remember at the time of SOAP, WS Star, WS Security. Mm -hmm. Trying to forget, Vittorio. Trying to forget. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I normally try to forget, and that's why my license plate is still WS Star. (laughs) (laughs) So that I don't forget. (laughs) Two people in the world get that. Yeah. (laughs) I don't forget it because it's important to remember that whatever we are working on right now might not be the standard five years from now. Mm-hmm. So when we design things, we need to remember it. But don't, uh, don't let me uh, say go on a tangent there. The idea is that uh, in these new systems, like there is this, this thing called the sender constraint, which is a new property that we want to uh, add to tokens, which tie a particular token to a channel, for example, so that uh, you can open an HTTPS channel and uh, you can have something inside of a token that say, this token can be used only within that channel. And if someone sees that token and tries to use it elsewhere, then the receiver will see that there is a mismatch between the channel declared by the token Mm. and the actual channel. So this is uh, one big thing that is coming in the industry. It's a bit painful because uh, if you followed it, there was one big candidate called the token binding. It was a set of specifications doing exactly this. And uh, uh, the problem with uh, token binding is that everyone in the entire stack needs to support it. The operating system, the applications, the browsers, the identity provider, the resources. And in here, a big blow was uh, delivered by Chrome. Because at a certain point, Chrome said, you know what, I'm no longer supporting these uh, uh, particular specification. Hmm. And if a browser doesn't support it, and Chrome is like uh, the most uh, adopted browser yeah, at this time. you're pooched. Then you, get, like, you, you can't really make it viable. So there are different alternatives that we are discussing. One is called uh, Mutual TLS, which uses client certificates. And we know right. that client certificates are not the lightest artifact. And then there is another one called Depop. And I won't bore you with the, with the details. The meta point is... Uh, we are working hard for adding visibility to tie tokens to channels so that uh, we are uh, uh, better protected from many of the middle attacks. I think that's going to be, it is already today, the next big thing that uh, we are working on as an industry. Hey, um, another feature that really caught my eye in the list is breached password detection. And uh, what are you guys just checking? I, have I been pwned? Um, I believe it's one of our sources, yes. The idea in general is that uh, we are on board with the continuous authentication concept in which uh, uh, we are. whenever we have a touch point with a user, we are constantly evaluating everything we know about the context, about the user, yeah. about the credentials that we are using, about the place from where they're coming from. And we are trying to detect deviations from the norm and depending on what we find, we might uh, block the sign-in altogether. We might uh, warn the uh, administrator. And uh, this is uh, pretty much uh, one of the, uh, the things that uh, sets apart the services, mm. such as uh, like any identity as a service, from uh, on-prem solutions. Because in on-prem solution, of course, uh, you cannot take advantage or you cannot as easily take advantage of these uh, wealth of knowledge and context about the user. Mm. Instead, when you're using cloud services, we can always uh, cross-check what we know about that session and assign a risk score and decide whether we needed to do something for protecting this particular transaction. Yeah, I would like a mechanism that makes it easy for you to help me to, to, con- to insist that a, that a user change their password. 
Yeah, we definitely have that in place. And the other funny thing is, given that we have all these extensibility points, you can actually plug whatever logic you want in of zero. Like uh, we have an event which uh, triggers whenever you are about to sign in, whenever you signed in, when you are about to sign up, after you signed up, and in there, you can write whatever logic you want. So if you want uh, extra checks, uh, if you want to, to change the recipe of a password, if you want to add an uh, in-person approval step, anything. I've seen uh, people using these extensibility points in the oddest and wildest ways. And it's just uh, why we had a, an extensibility point instead of just out of a box thing, because uh, you never know what people need on the last mile. Yeah, it's very fair. It, it's not, not a simple thing. There's all these new devices coming down the path, too. I've been working really hard to try and make YubiKey work for me. And it's the and the interesting experience has been it's depending very much on the quality of the software that uses the YubiKey. Hmm. Interesting. I got, I, I'll give you an example, and I'm sorry this is a bit of a digression towards the end of the show. I'm, I use LastPass. And I've set up my LastPass so that you have to authenticate with the YubiKey to use LastPass. Mm -hmm. But the, on my phone, and I've got the YubiKey 5, which has NFC in it, so I can authenticate with my phone just by tapping the YubiKey on the back. It, um, it decided it didn't like my YubiKey anymore, and it didn't tell me. It continued to serve old passwords, but it wouldn't take any updated ones. Oh, that's so, annoying. Interesting. And, it, and, the, and the, the, the failure was so subtle the only reason that I've realized it was it had been broken for a month, but most of my passwords hadn't changed that month, so I didn't notice. It was it was just Starbucks. I was just broken for Starbucks. Huh. Like, what is wrong with Starbucks? Right. Why is Starbucks working? Of <laughs> all the stupid things, right? And it's always you only have a minute or two to wrestle with this. Pull thing out your wallet. Oh, line. all right. And I finally take I want to solve my Starbucks problem. And you spend 20 minutes and I finally figure out it's because I had need to reauthenticate with you with YubiKey, and it's not saying to me anywhere reauthenticate with YubiKey. Huh. It literally, I had to force myself to log all the way out of LastPass on my phone to log all the way back in to reauthenticate with YubiKey, and then everything was fine. Yeah, the, the thing that you are experiencing right now, I believe, is the effect of the Cambrian explosion that we are dealing with. Like now, this technology is becoming available. And applications are deciding how to take advantage of it. Yes. And uh, um, it will be a bit before we crystallize around the uh, best practices that everyone uses and that uh, don't surprise the user. Right now, like we, it's not exactly that we are experimenting, but like uh, there are different ways of uh, achieving the same goal. And in the end, uh, we needed to transform those things into habits. Yeah. And until we don't start agreeing on doing the same practices, they, it will be hard to have a habit that works for LastPass, for one password, for the operating system, for everything else. But yes. I am optimistic. I think we are going in the right direction. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And the fact that I'm even willing to try this, but the number, the time, that point where you get to is like, how does a regular mortal figure this out? And they just, yeah, they, they don't. Right. They make their password one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, right? Like that's what happens. You are absolutely and, right, yes. Until we make this stuff easier to do right. I am pushing, getting the family onto a password manager bit by bit because that's getting better. But they, but these token devices, the YubiKeys of the and the like, they're just beyond most people at this point. They're yeah, too it's, hard it's to early. The, this thing needs to sink into the platform. Like uh, to me, the experience uh, that I really like is what I get with my um, uh, iPhone XS Max, in which whenever I need to access this thing, I have uh, this thing that. Uh, Looks uh, to my face at uh, the size of it. Yup, it's me, and I get access to this thing. It's very, very seamless. But yeah, uh, Windows uh, Hello is sort of it's the like equivalent. a closed system. Like if I try to explain this to my sister who has an Android phone and uh, is definitely not an IT person, I just give up after some time yeah. because uh, uh, it's just like too many differences. And uh, in order to explain to her, I have to backtrack too far. And I see that after some time, she just uh, loses interest. So I think it's just a matter of waiting until this becomes truly mainstream, is truly integrated with the software that uh, the normal people, let's say non-IT people use, and then the right thing will happen automatically without them having to become aware of this next level of reality. I agree. What about every key? We talked about that. That's the guy, um, who's it, McAfee, John McAfee. He started this one. It's a little... 
little fob, little chip that as long as it's near your computer or near your phone, uh, it'll log in like the Ubi key, I guess. But um, any have either of you guys used that? I have uh, this, uh, the same effect with Apple Watch. Like when I'm close to my Mac and I'm wearing my Apple Watch, the Mac magically unlocks. And when I walk away, it also locks itself. I, I lock by hand anyway because I'm paranoid. But uh, uh, that's, uh, I guess it's professional bias. Normal people would just rely on the Apple Watch. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting stuff. I'd, I'd like to get away from passwords altogether, completely. Oh, yeah, that would I be hate, awesome. I hate it. I hate managing passwords. And I hate yeah. the fact that I'm, that I'm, you know, you get pwned, right? Oh, yeah. And you don't know what to do about that. It's tough. Change password again. Right, exactly. So what's next for you, Vittorio? Are we still speaking at conferences? Can we go see you in action? <laughs> I still speak at conferences. My is a my leash is fairly long uh, right now. And I'm just back from Techorama, Belgium, where I had a oh, blast. Right. I love their huge, huge screens. And in a, just a month time, uh, toward the end of June, there will be Identiverse, which is uh, probably the largest identity conference in the year. And there I have uh, free sessions, and I also own the developer truck. So I'll be, wow. I'm helping with the content development and uh, I will be introducing all the various the presenters for all the sessions of the truck. And um, I'm really looking forward to it because it's uh, the first time that uh, they have a truck for developers. I'm very honored that uh, they asked me to take care of it. And uh, I think that the content that is coming together is really great. Apart from mine, which I have yet to develop, but for <laughs> all the ones that I received, the speakers are top notch and they are doing a fantastic job. So I'm really looking forward to uh, facilitate that. Awesome. Well, it sounds fascinating. And uh, hey, thanks for being here with us for this hour. It's a, always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Thank you for having me. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I